Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Um, let's see, what else did I get? A bunch of uh, team-issued uh, uh, postcards. A lot, of, a lot of postcards from a lot of Toronto from the late 60s, early 70s, and then some team sets. So just a collection you picked up today. How many Gretzky rookies were in the collection? Uh, just two. KSA 5 and a raw one. And a raw oh, Gretzky. Huh? So oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. All Gretzky's are good. All right, we're live now. So, uh, welcome everybody. This is Sports Cards Live After Hours. Joining me is Colin Murray, fellow Expo vendor, goes by Sloth Fifty Five, known for his raw vintage for the most part, mostly hockey, right, Colin? Uh, it used to be mostly hockey. Now I've got I bought a big collection a couple years ago of of baseball and football. Right from the 50s all the way up. And a collection that you're able to keep on using and sell through slow. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think baseball cards look a lot nicer than uh, than hockey cards. And so I've uh, kind of tried to to purchase as much of the the older baseball as I can. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool. We got Eric with us. Eric, welcome back. Legion, good to see you as well. Charles, nice to see you. So Charles. We were just talking about you, Charles, uh, Colin, because he, he said it's nice to see some other raw guys in there. And I said, well, that was Charles. He's been on the show. You should check him out. He's a younger guy. He's like, yeah, for sure, for sure. So welcome back, Charles. Dave, good to see you, buddy. Good to see you. Welcome to the show. Amish Dave Archer. So as you all know, we this is a more chilled out uh, version of Sports Cards Live. I don't know. We, like, maybe I could have called it Sports Cards Live Light or something like that, you know? But we're calling. I, I wish I was light. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hilarious. Charles is calling. I still have your business card on my fridge. There you go. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Card killer all night long. Hey, good to see you, card killer. I've seen you. I saw you on Christina's show way back a few months ago. I know you're a mysterious, mysterious uh, entity within the hobby. But uh, if I give, if if you could send me a DM on Instagram or me send you one, I'd love to uh, to talk about getting you on the show one night and learning what you're all up to in the hobby. Pretty cool. There's uh, that's got to be my man Richard Barone, the mayor of Calgary. Sorry, the mayor of Canada. We call him. Everyone knows there's no such thing as the mayor of Canada, but uh, we refer to this guy because he's from he's from Long Island and he's your typical yeah. New Yorker. Typical yeah. New Yorker. Carlos says '50s baseball was a golden era. Oh, nice stuff. Nice stuff. What about 40s baseball? I showed these two cards on the last show. This is 40s yeah. baseball. I mean, there's some beautiful 30s too, like the Gaudis yeah. and some beautiful, beautiful cards back then. Yeah. Beautiful stuff. No doubt. Love it. 
Hey, fellas, to you, Charles. It's Card Killer. Oh, my God. <laughs> right on. See a mysterious entity within the hobby, Card Killer. Good stuff. Good stuff. So one of the one of the purposes of After Hours is to sort of debrief the episode we just had. You know, obviously, I do that episode, and I'm caught up in it, so I don't remember all of the – it's hard to remember all the topics that we, that we are chatting about. So we're going to go through a couple of them. Colin actually did me a solid, took some notes of things that he wants to talk about. So we're going to, we're going to get to those Terry fortune in the house. Terry fortune owns what, like a thousand Gretzky rookies. Terry, welcome to the show. Charles says, Donnie collectibles showed me you card killer. There you go. Donnie's collectibles, 1900s baseball. Carlos says thirties and forties were great, but the war cut back production. So we didn't have the full time covered. True enough. Bobby Burrell says, Hey Colin, good to see you. Bobby. So, and speaking of Bobby, so, if you guys watched the episode with Bobby a few weeks ago, he showed a few items. So I, I've I've purchased historical hobby items from from Bobby in the past, and I've been fortunate enough. I, I feel fortunate. I don't know. Maybe I'm a sucker, but I hope I, I hope to think it's because Bobby knows that when he sells me an, an item, it's going into a good collection, a collection, you know, a well loved collection. So after the episode, he he sort of showed one item on the episode and. In the after hour show afterwards, I mentioned that that is something that I would rather own than if it was the same item, but a but a Wayne Gretzky version of the item. And uh, and I think Bobby heard that and he thought, ah, well, I guess if Jeremy wants it, maybe I'd sell it to him. And so we we did a deal. So I'm gonna I'm gonna show it because they arrived on uh, they arrived back on Monday, I believe. And uh, so thank you, Bobby, for that. So the first item. The first item I'm going to show. Oh, there's two. I love them both, so I don't know which one to show first. I like to I like to save the best for last usually, but I think in this case, and I don't know which I like better, so I will just uh, I'll just show the first one first. So the first one. So what I'm talking about is I I don't collect game used jerseys. You know, people say, why would you buy a, a card with a swatch when you can buy the whole jersey for that much money? And my answer always to that, Colin, is. I don't collect jerseys. I only collect cards. So I'll pay more yeah. for a card than I will for a jersey. Yeah. So as someone who doesn't collect cards or doesn't collect jerseys, I have no interest in the game-worn jersey hanging on my wall. The one you see over my shoulder there, that Teppo yeah. Newman, I wear that to card shows there. That's a Teppo Newman and Gamer, but I wear it. It's not on display. But this is something that I really wanted when I saw it. This is an Opeachy Thrillers game-worn like a uh, manufacturer's league hockey jersey. And what I love about it, first of all, is you got the Opeachy name, the, the marking at the top, and you've got Thrillers being the logo. And it's after their Thrills gum. This was number 34. Oh, yeah. Don't know who wore it, but Bobby advises that I could probably find out who by talking to a guy who hangs out at Andy Greenham's booth at the Expo. So I will do that. But he also sent me to go along with it an original pack of thrills gum and if you look at the yeah so this is from i think bobby said the 30s or the 40s and this is a this was an empty gum pack and look at the word thrills look at the font used right it's the same i'm trying to see here it's the same as the font on the on the jersey so the opichi company they took their thrills uh branding and they converted it into their hockey jersey. And to me, nice. because I'm a guy who loves ho- historical hobby items, this was right up my alley. I said to Bob, I said, man, I'm going to 
I'm going to get that framed up and put it on my wall. He's like, no, just, just hang it with the rest of them you have behind you. You know, that way you can yeah. move it around and take it off and put it on if you want. He's, I'm like, yeah, you're right. Anyway, Bobby, thank you for uh, giving this up, making it mine. Uh, I, as you know, I love it. And uh, that will be staying with me for quite some time. Throw, throw, Matthews, on. throw Matthews on the back, number 34. Yeah, hey, there you go. There you go. The other item Bobby sent me, and this is something that he had. So Bobby was set up at the very first summit show in Edmonton back in, God, that must have been like 2010 or 11, way back then. And he had a booth really just displaying some cool items. I think uh, his buddy, uh, Dave Martell, who promoted the show, probably asked him to come out and bring some cool items. We want to start the show off with a bang. And he had sitting on the table one of these little figurines. And I wanted it so bad. And he's like, it's the only one. It's probably the only one that exists. I can't sell it to you. I'm like, all right. Well, a couple of weeks ago, not even, it was like last week on his, in his YouTube group, he shows a second one that he got. And I wrote him, I'm like, okay, you're going to sell me that one? And so anyway, along with the jersey, I acquired a, an original Opeachy Bubble Boy. So, and it, it's even got the Opeachy insignia in gray. There, there oh, it is. Look at that, like right in there. It's so wicked. Cool. It's the Opeachy Bubble Boy blowing a pink, pink bubble gum. It's got a bit of a paint chip, but hey, who cares? And I don't remember what Bobby told me right now, like what year this would have been from, but apparently the owner of Opeachy at the time had these made and gave them to the staff. I don't know if it was all the staff or some of the staff. And I'll have to get Bobby to tell me again so I can actually take some notes on this. But Play the month. Many there are, there's not many. And uh, so in, in, in one fell swoop, I was able to acquire this and the jersey. And to me, they're two of the coolest hobby, historical hobby, yeah. especially for Opeachy, you know, up in Canada, uh, that, that you could possibly have. So proud owner of these two items. What, what do you think, Colin? Did I, did I do all right? That's awesome, yeah. There's not many of them around. Probably Employee of the Month uh, award that he was handed out. Could be right. I, I don't know what it is, but I'm 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 super stoked to own like like I said, I collect cards and pretty much cards only. But on top of cards, I want historical hobby items. Like if you look at that that thing right there, and yep. I just put that there. That was on the floor behind me. That's one of those original card dispensers. It's got you oh, can't yeah. see yep. it. It's, there you go. It's got oh, the yeah. twenty five cent slide slots. It's right. It's got. Uh, I think it's got 54 tops in there. No, that's actually that's actually just like 2012 uh, SP Authentic <laughs> Hockey. I put those in there myself. But it's 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 legit. Like that's an that's an old yeah. unit. I don't know what year it's from, but it's not one. I've had a few guys look at it and they've said, yeah, that's one of the original units. So it's really cool. And I found that on Kijiji in Edmonton a few wow. years ago. And I, I think I got it for a steal, but like 50 bucks or something like that. Yeah. I think it's probably worth well, well over a thousand dollars now, but anyway, another item that doesn't matter what it's worth. It's not for sale. So yeah, let's get to a few comments, uh, Colin, and then let's start yeah. talking about the episode. Let's see what we got, what we got here from people who are with us right now. Again, everybody, thank you for joining. Great to see you all. So uh, here we are. Legion says you found it. Nice pickup. Well, Bobby was willing to move it to me. So yeah, I found it. I found it. I, I, Managed to pry it out of his hands. Charles says, yeah, lots of lost players in that era for sure, like Bill Dernan, 1979 yeah. Thrillers. That's the jersey. Thank, Yeah, David, I think it's so cool too. 
Number 34, Nolan Ryan, number 34. That's I think that must be Richie talking. Charles says, rookie is in Quaker Oats for some reason. Bill Dernan, okay, good to know. <laughs> yeah, thrills taste like dish soap. Mm, I'm one of the minority, uh, Terry. I like thrills as well. I can eat that. Yep. I can eat that all, all day long. Dave Kaplan, welcome to the show. He says, thrills gum is the best soap tasting gum out there. I agree. The reason why I said Dave Kaplan's name like that, guys, I'll let, I'll let you all in on this. So, uh, I'm from Winnipeg originally, and um, I grew up with, with this gentleman, Dave Kaplan. Uh, we kind of went to the same schools growing up, and uh, but we haven't probably seen each other or talked outside of the hobby and outside of Facebook Messenger, I don't know, Dave, what, like uh, 30 years at least, maybe 35 years since we've had any uh, conversations face-to-face, So, uh, but we've kind of rekindled that uh, friendship over hobby-wise on on facebook which is cool anyway dave welcome good to see you thanks for joining bobby burrell says terry when did you eat dish soap legion says top scum was exactly wasn't exactly gourmet either i love the pink gum in the gum packs hey did you oh yeah you oh it? yeah oh yeah i can still smell it oh yeah still right yeah still, and you know what do you, do you remember in the early 2000s when tops put out the heritage product and it came with gum that but the gum was wrapped in a cellophane yeah yeah. That gum actually tasted like the original. I yeah. remembered it being, if not the same, very similar. Bobby says, you're welcome. Thank you for allowing me to own these items, Bobby. I will I will take care of them as long as they're, uh, as long as they're with me, for sure. Terry says, when I used to swear as a kid, mom and dad would wash my mouth out with soap, sometimes dish soap. There you good. There you go. Bobby says, I think it truly represented their honest business model. I think I think he's Bobby's talking about this guy right here. Again, this thing is, and it's heavy. Like this is, this is a heavy piece, and it's bigger than I remembered it to be. It's got to be about three and a half inches tall, yeah. Which is the height of a card, right? That's not a, that's yeah. not a card that's three and a half inches tall, but it's actually a bit taller. It's about four inches tall. Yeah, but it's a heavy piece. The tall it's, boy, tall it's boy. a tall boy. It's a it's a <laughs> it's a tall little peachy bubble boy. Very cool. Terry says, cool Opeachy collectibles. I think so. I think so. Charles, haha, so many cool old types of candy, like button candy. Yeah, the old yeah. time candy was good, right? <clears throat> For sure. So let's, uh, oh, wait, Dave says, long time. Yeah, maybe not since you were hanging out at the cases at Joe Daly's Sports Cards in Winnipeg. Good to see you too. Yeah, Joe Daly, a legend. So let's talk about the episode that just was, because as I mentioned earlier, Colin, when I'm doing the show, it's, you know, I'm going, going, going. My eyes are everywhere. I'm busy yep. producing a show while I'm while I'm interacting. So it's hard for me to remember everything that went on. But you picked out a few items. You, you let me know earlier what, what they were. The first one you, was was, um, was grading. We talked a lot about grading and you, you're a raw guy traditionally. What, yeah. what, were you, what were you thinking when we were talking about that? Um, well, it was... You know, like being being a raw like specialist, I guess. Like I've I've got a lot of uh, a lot of raw cards that are in high grade, and I remember when I first started doing the the big show at the, the expo, a lot of the big dealers were. You know, I was new to the new to the arena, and they came over and they basically gobbled up all my nice stuff. And then just over the years, you know, realized that grading the cards uh, was was the way to go to to really financially get get what you you know uh, what the, the the pricing of everything was you know a raw card and, and you you know you also you base it on the uh, 
on the, the, the cost of grading it. And, you know, for you were getting, you know, 10 cents on the dollar almost, you know, like it was the, 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 the cost or the, the, the value that you were getting back in grading was, you know, 50 times almost on what it was raw. So I just basically had to start grading the cards. I've only been doing it for a couple of years, but, uh, you know, still have a lot of raw, but it's definitely the way of the future, I think, for, for the, the, the hobby, you know, like it, there's so much of, with the trimming and going on that people just don't trust the, the raw card unless it's from a re re reputable dealer, I think. Yeah, which you are. So that's, mm -hmm. and, you know, if, a lot of people want raw cards, but they are, they are apprehensive nowadays, like, like, you know, yeah. like you were saying. So the other thing that you said was, you know, you, two years now you've been doing it. I think a big part of that is, you know, you've adapted, right? We talked about oh, that in the first definitely. episode, the need to adapt in this hobby or be left in the dust. Like if you're still, if you're still sporting a flip phone that, you yeah. know, you're probably not ready to adapt or embrace the change. So uh, kudos to you for embracing that change. Any other thoughts sort of about the grading discussion that we had? Uh, yeah, well, it's, you know, it's the, how, how Dave was talking about SGCs. We kind of made a comeback with the, with the new slab and all, and, and having the three, three top uh, companies and, and the ranking of it, you know, and, you know, there's probably isn't room for anybody else other than those three, like you were saying before about the two Canadian companies. Um, but, you know, I think it's going to be those three and those three only really moving forward. I can't see anybody doing anything that they're any better than what they're already doing. But don't forget, there is this new CGC coming in. They're from the comic book world. Mm -hmm. They're very well known and respected for grading of comic books. And they're making the the pivot or the leap into, yeah. into sports cards. I think they're starting with gaming cards and they are planning to come to sports cards. So well, they I can try. Yeah, <laughs> they could try. And I just wonder, because, yeah. you know, it's unfortunate for the, the big three that COVID has caused them all to build up these huge backlogs and you can wait, you know, up to a year for your cards to come back. Now, uh, there it might be the right time for a, a company like a CGC to come in and try and capitalize on 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 the on the weaknesses of the existing company or, or the challenges that the existing big three are currently facing. Yeah. You yeah. know, maybe. And it seems like SGC tried to do that, and then as as John was explaining. They tried to do it, but it's like they they ended up in the same boat that the other yeah. companies were because they their marketing worked. They're getting all these submissions, yeah. and now they're backlogged as well, having the same problem that the other companies are having that that PSA and BGS are having. So, hey, man, I mean, I welcome a new competitor to the space that is reputable, has the infrastructure and systems in place to do it. I just think it's a lot more challenging for a Canadian company to gain ground yeah. and really get market share because the U.S. is just so much bigger yeah. than we are. Yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 not doable, really. You know, like even uh, just you know, just from when you had uh, when the Beckett uh, when you the the amount of hockey cards that are being graded by Beckett just isn't high enough. Like you know, like you were we were talking earlier how basketball cards you can't even get in Canada. Right. So it's definitely, uh, you know, in the minority of, you know, there's just not enough stuff for for it to get great. It's like cell phones. The, the cost of a cell phone in the U.S. is is different in Canada just because of the population. Right. So they're not going to, you know, PSA, they're not opening an office in Canada like everybody 
thinks they should. It's just, it's just not, uh, not doable. You know, it's yeah. just economically to do. Which is too bad. It would be great if, if, if those companies could have an, not just a submitting depot, but an actual grading office with, with graders that would be, and slabbing machines. That would be yeah. awesome. When I had uh, Jeremy Murray on the show, who's the VP of grading at Beckett, you know, I basically, I said to him, I said, Jeremy, this is me speaking on behalf of all collectors in Canada. Please bring a slabbing machine or two or three to Toronto and Edmonton and, and, and graders. And let, let's get some grading up there. I say like, we're pleading with you. We, we will, you know, hopefully I, I mean, I can't guarantee it's going to be worth it for them, but I think it would be, you know, and, well, for sure. You know, sure it would, it would, uh, it would relieve some of the, the delay because there's a yeah. lot of Canadians that do send in to, to get to cards to get graded. Yeah. Yeah. Dave, Dave Kaplan says, has anyone seen an, a CGC graded card in the wild? I haven't. Have you? No, I, I, and again, I, Dave, I, maybe you can you can enlighten us, but I don't know that they've started doing sports cards yet. I maybe they have, but I do believe they were starting with they were going to start with gaming in terms of cards at all, and then and then make their way to sports. Carlos makes a comment here. He says the their best shot, being uh, CGC or any new company, I guess, is to get a high volume, well known dealer to use them exclusively and see if that can push some market acceptance. But it would have to be a big player. Yeah, it would have to be a big player, and their grading would have to be at least as good as the other companies, is what I is what I think. You can't just you can't just pair up with a a brand, you know, a, a high, a well known um, dealer to endorse you. I think you then have to back it up with a quality product. And Carlos, I'm sure you're not saying otherwise, but I'm just adding that on. Yeah. So what else uh, stuck out to you there, Colin, from the episode? Um, and what was the next? Um, one? Let me see. It was uh, well. We talked about uh, the like the the pricing or the value of cards right now. Like obviously with COVID, it's kind of gone gotten out of control a little bit. It's almost pricing out the collector, I think, a little bit, um, just for the the cost of what it costs or what it costs for certain cards, you know, in in certain sports. And uh, hockey being probably the the one that's lagging behind a little bit, which I think you know is good for us because it can only go up. Um, there's no reason for it to go down. Um, uh, but I do think as, as a whole, the, the value of some of the, of some of the cards is, has to come down. You know, it's, you know, some of the basketball cards, is just, it's almost ridiculous what they're, what they're going for. And they haven't played enough games, you know, one injury and, and the, you know, if you're out of the, out of the, out of the game, then what do you do with all these cards that you spent thousands of dollars on? No, I, th I think you're totally right about that. Because at first I was like, are you talking about vintage or modern? But then you clarified, you're talking oh, yeah. about modern cards and current yeah. players. And I mean, we've seen, you know, Luca's PSA 10 Prism rookie, you know, when it went from 60 bucks a year ago to like $700 before the pandemic to like $2,000 a month ago. Now it's down to, now it's kind of stabilized at 1200. So you've yeah. already seen it lose 40% of its value since it's, yeah. since it's high point. We're seeing the yeah. same thing with Giannis rookies and Kawhi rookies. They've all come down in value since their high point. So yeah. I, I don't think you're wrong about, about that, but I don't think that same comment applies to vintage. Uh, not as much to vintage. We, we will see this. We always see this, right? But we may not, we'll see it. We'll see 
those peaks and valleys, I think, will be um, less uh, le- the magnitude will be smaller than than for the vintage, right? I think yeah. that I think yeah. You, yeah, yeah. Vintage, you know, this hobby has been around for over a hundred years. It's not going to go away because we've had this sudden spike with uh, in twenty twenty. So I don't think we need to be too concerned about the yeah. state of the hobby, but yeah. I think we have to be prepared for uh, a, a bit of an adjust, a bit or an adjustment over the next one week to two years kind of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So Dave makes a comment. He says, even KSA, which is one of the Canadian companies, has a big backlog. Also, with more people coming to the hobby, KSA is gaining more market acceptance, and he's basing it on eBay solds because people, and I think this is an assumption he's making, because people don't know the difference between the companies. And I think that comment has some merit. New people may not know that one brand is is you know has a better equity than the old than than another brand but i don't think it takes long for people to to find out especially if they're out there looking and are hungry for for uh content and and people's opinions which are are you know there's no shortage of people's opinion and bobby says 2.0 again the evolution of yeah. it all i think is what bobby's saying there any uh response to that uh well the you know the the graded cards that are being bought now are the high grade stuff and you know like uh, i know just for because i've got a lot of not a lot of ksa but i've got some high-end ksa stuff and a ksa 9 for example is not you know everybody thinks that a psa it's a two grades less it's a psa or a ksa 9 is not a psa 7. Like maybe well, a P, maybe a psa 6 or a ksa 6 might be a psa 4 but when you get into high grade ksa it's still you know sharp sharp corners and it's not like you're getting a ding corner on a on a ksa9 yeah no that that, that uh, you know that makes good sense and i like the way you put it that a, P, a ksa9 is not a psa7 but a ksa6 may be a psa4 yeah that makes a lot of sense to me i think that's a great that's a great i think it's the mid the mid to low grade ksa is a little bit off but their high grade kind of. stuff is still you know condition wise and that's that and that's where they get the grade they the the centering is an issue where they're they're grading the condition of the card without putting the centering in because that's what that's what it should be that's the the, their philosophy anyway oh so they don't they sort of ignore centering exactly it's the condition of the card that they're like a psa you can have a card that has razor sharp corners but if it's off center it's not going to get a nine it's going to get lower so right you well, know. that to me, that's real. That's interesting, and I, I wasn't so aware of that. Um, I I bought a I bought a KSA five Howie Morenz rookie, the twenty three Patterson, several years ago, and I wanted it in a PSA holder because that's where my Hall of Fame rookie collection. They're all in PSA holders, yeah. so I, I cross graded it. I, I I cracked it up myself, and I you know a KSA slab is very easy to open up. You can basically just do it with your yeah. fingers, and uh, I sent it. It came back as a PSA three, so. Just like you said, a six may be a four. In this case, my five was a three. And, you know, just for people, I did not care at all that I got that it's in a PSA three. I'm just proud to own that card. And I didn't expect it to come back to five. Um, <clears throat> so that that was uh, that that I, w- I was happy with that. Um, but uh, I've seen I've seen some other ca- uh, issues of, of the two point difference. But you're right. Not from a nine to a seven, but the 
the biggest issue I have with KSA, and this is, I'm, I don't want to be, um, this is constructive criticism, or at least I'll, I'll frame it as constructive criticism is I've had too many KSA cards where, you know, your cards aren't always lying flat, especially if you're traveling to card shows where, and I bought, I once bought a complete, this is a different 1923 Patterson, but I bought a whole 23 Patterson set in KSA. The whole set was slab by KSA. I bought it several years ago and about a half a dozen cards were like the card had moved out of the square area and up in behind the, 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 the flip, the, the label. I'm like, wow, what? So my constructive criticism is fix the slab issue. Cause to me it's junky and it's not welcome in my collection in its current form. So fix your slab is my number one point. But the, but the, the, the fact that they don't consider centering to me, that means that they also wouldn't consider uh, registration. Because the card, if they're only grading the card on the physical cards condition, but not looking at the quality of the print job, then I think, I'm, and that's fine if that's what they're doing, but that's that right there is going to stop them from growing from where they are right now, I think, because nobody want, nobody nobody yeah. else really considers centering to, to be unimportant. I shouldn't say yeah. nobody else. The majority of the hobby consider centering to be extremely important, if not the most important. Yeah. So if they're ignoring it, um, they're really just a souped up uh, uploader, really. Yeah. But it's like PSA, when they put an OC on it, a qualifier on it, you don't have, you shouldn't have to put it on there because if it's OC, it you can visually see that it's out off center. You don't have to be told otherwise, right? Um, and KSA, like I know that they, they put all their cards in penny sleeves now, kind of like Beckett does. So the card, the card doesn't move as much, uh, or if uh, move at all now. So that's they're good. improving it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad to hear that they're improving and, and adapting, which has been a bit of a theme tonight. That's you got to adapt. You got to adapt for sure. And and back to the lack, you know, not addressing centering again. If that's it, as long as their um, their criteria and their standards for grades are transparent and and known by the people that are submitting, then hey go for it. That That's fine. That's your business model. I'm not going to argue with your business model. I just, you know, may or may not want to uh, be a customer. Simple as that. Okay. Um, here we have a comment. Uh, Charles says, KSA is one grade higher than PSA. Sometimes two grades higher and sometimes on par. I think that makes sense. I think it goes the other way at times too, right? It's not just, not just KSA there. All about buying the eye appeal. Yeah, people and, and centering is a big part of eye appeal when it comes to cards. Yeah. He also says all Charles also says that the KSA cards with the circle label are much more accurate than the square stickers. Okay. And that ties into what you were telling me that they've tightened up their grading. That's great. Peter says, I think some of the older or original KSA stuff was more consistent. I had a KSA 8.5 graded Patrick Wall Upichi Ricky that crossed to the same in PSA. That's great to know. Great to know. Carlos says, I believe your assessment, but if KSA is ignoring centering, they should tell that to their published grading standards where centering is mentioned. I think I just, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, agreed. <clears throat> so it seems like what Carlos is saying, Colin, is that they do speak to centering, but so maybe. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying that they don't have centering as an issue. They don't, they don't put a qualifier on any of their slabs, I believe, except for stains, I believe. They don't put OC on it. I don't think SGC or Beckett do uh, qualifiers either. Yeah. Yeah. 
Dave says that regarding KSA, it all depends on the card and the grader and the day and the weather and all these things. I think that's that speaks to the the whole subjectivity in the hobby. We covered that in the earlier episode, and uh, I, I think I think well, they, have, they only have one grader, <laughs> so oh yeah, doesn't doesn't yeah they only have one grader. What happened to the BC office? Is it closed now? That's, that's being closed for probably over ten years. Well, I have to disagree with that because I was set up at the Vancouver show, the Langley show in November of 2019. And there was a guy walking around. He was set up behind me. I didn't talk to him much because he was behind me and over a bit. But he said, I'm the KSA Burnaby office, I think I remember. And he gave me his card and it said KSA on it. So you might want to talk to uh, Nate in Guelph or in in Guelph. Yeah. Yeah. And just find out for sure because I'm curious about that now. Jake says, I really don't like PSA qualifiers. Yeah, when I submit when I submit my cards to PSA, I always tick the no qualifiers box, but I, I do that. And my last submission, I got about four cards they wouldn't grade because they they had issues like recoloring. And I'm gonna I'm gonna send them back to them and I'm gonna allow qualifiers because I still want those cards slabbed in by K, by PSA. So um, I don't love them either, Jake, but I'm willing to accept them in in limited circumstances. Extremely rare cards is how I would do it, and uh, cards that are unfortunately someone took a colored marker to to color up. But it is what it is. I'm speaking. I have a card that's numbered out of two that I'm gonna I'm gonna get graded and or slabbed with a qualifier. Rome says a loaded question after the PSA scandal. But do K- does KSA grade cards that PSA would identify as trimmed? That is a loaded question, and I you can don't, have a, you can you can have a trimmed card that measures up, though. That's the thing. True, right? So it's not it's not as easy to pick out a, a trimmed card if it measures up, and that's and that's what's happened with uh, like the early Parkhurst 53, 54 Parkhurst that sometimes were or even fifty two where they were the sizing wasn't very uh, accurate, and so the the um, the the noted trimmer. That with the the PSA uh, scandal, he you know he had called me. I'm not going to name names or anything, but he had called me wanting some of my 53 Parker's cards because he knew that they were oversized and he could trim them to the proper size and have nice corner. And that's basically what what has happened with with all those trim cards. It's not necessarily they're trimmed and they're short. They're trimmed and now they're regular size instead of being slightly oversized. Right. And that, yeah, that, that I can definitely agree, you know, kind of agree with that. Not all cards come out of the pack, especially back then uh, Mm -hmm. at the max size, right? They, they, there are even, even one of the uh, most, most, I think the most expensive sale of a Honus Wagner rookie, uh, the T206 from 1909 was the oversized and it's got the MC qualifier. It was miscut, miscut Mm -hmm. big. I guess I'd rather have an extra material than, than less material. Yeah. Amish Dave Archer says, don't buy the grade, buy the card for its visual appeal to you. I mean, that that just that's just good advice right there. Dave says uh, about KSA, and then he goes on to clarify KSA West, I should say, is alive and well. So yeah, I definitely I met the guy just in November. So uh, so may, I, I don't know, call him. Maybe, maybe that might that might be recent, like in the last yeah, maybe Dave. Maybe Dave knows. Uh, he says he's here in Vancouver, still grading with a large backlog of cards. So good, good for him, growing his business. I'm always happy to see people growing their business. 
Bobby Burrell jumps in and he says, grading high dollar cards are now comp and now companies charge so much to grade them. There should be no discrepancy to grade as they should have at least three eyes looking at these cards considering the cost. Yeah, I mean, especially yeah. when you're grading with PSA who charges you based on your assessed value of your card. There's different uh, ranges there or different levels. Um, yeah, there should be three people looking at a card, especially if you're paying like, you know, a hundred or more to grade it for sure, I would yeah. think. Charles says, older KSA in the PSA type labels aren't very accurate, I've come to find, as the old grader in the 90s was not as accurate as Nathan, who bought the company in the early 2000s. Again, this, this comment is coming from a 15-year-old who knows his stuff. Knows his stuff. Way to go, Charles. I love that you're keeping on top of the hobby, my, my man. Paul says, new side project, 8182 Opichi Oilers team set, PSA 9 OC. No shortage of OC cards in the early 80s, that's for sure. There it is. Gary Scissorhands Moser, the hoser. Colin, wasn't willing, Colin <laughs> wasn't willing to use names. I have no problem putting someone's name out there who is frauding our, our hobby or committing fraud against our hobby. I think it's fraud. Yeah. It is. I've looked at It's fraud. It's misleading, intentionally misleading to earn a profit or to benefit. Joe says, while I do prioritize centering, there are moments where a very crisp OC vintage copy can draw me in, especially when the registration of the surface is brilliant with colors and focus. I, I love that comment because registration to me, surface is so important to me as a collector. I want good registration. I showed my Jackie Robinson rookie earlier tonight on the other show, and this card is notoriously blurry. This is, this has, it was a perfect print job. One of the reasons, now the centering is probably like 80-20, but the registration is like bang on and if you look on historical sales of of this card that have sold even recently even in the last month they're they're fuzzy they're blurry so I, I love i love to me i want a nice crisp image on my cards for sure bobby says from 1951 parkhurst used a hand guillotine to cut their cards for the first few years so that's why you see the odd diamond cut card in 51 Parkhurst, I would think, and you see some centering issues there, I, I guess. But anyway, interesting. Good to know. I love the hobby history there. Thank you for that, Bobby. Colin, anything else kind of jump out at you from the episode earlier? Um, let's see. How about the amount of shows and stores going on? Yeah, like it's like I was telling you before that uh, there's, there's almost, and Bobby can attest to this, there's almost too many shows and the area of the country that we live in, in Ontario, uh, in the Toronto area, you know, there's, we can only be in one <laughs> one place at one, one, one day. And there could be two shows on a Saturday, two on a Sunday. And uh, there's just, you know, I think if they did one show a month, that would be, that would be fine. And, you know, everybody would be able to uh, be excited to go to it instead of missing shows, you know. Right. Um, especially if you're a dealer, you know. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I hear you. So speaking about shows, uh, Steve Menzi, who owns the Toronto Sports Card Expo and Memorabilia show, yeah. has officially canceled the in-person version of the show, which I think comes as no surprise to anybody. Yeah. Uh, but what I found really interesting in his announcement was that he announced the virtual expo is going to happen again. It's going to be November 21 and 22. Yeah. Yeah. It's a Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. And he's now partnering up with 
I think the guy's name is, was it Mitch Edelstein out of Chicago who runs the Chicago Sports Spectacular, which is a quarterly show in Chicago at, at the, I believe it's at the uh, the Stevens Center, the same place that the Nationals held at in Chicago. Yeah. So they're teaming up now, which I, th- I, I personally, I know you have a bit of a differing opinion on this, uh, Colin, but I, I love it because it's growing the show and it's going to make it, I think, a real, a real show, not a real in-person show, of course, but it's going to give this event credibility, not just being the Toronto Expo, not just being hockey, not just being Canada, but now truly cross-border, North America-wide. And I think we're going to see many more vendors and many more uh, attendees than we did the first time. So those are are the pros for me. More people, more traffic, ability to meet more people as a vendor. I'll be set up as a vendor, so I'm going to meet more people. I'm going to sit here streaming for two days straight, which... Lucky for me, I'm very comfortable streaming by now. So it, it's, I think I have a bit of an advantage that way. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and uh, exploit that as best I can by talking to people that come into my booth. So I like it. That's, that's the yeah. pros for me. What do you see as the, as the cons of this partnership? Um, well, initially, I thought it was the Nationals, so not, not the Chicago show. Um, but, you know, at the, you know, at the same time, like there's a lot of the dealers are also by. Uh, like I remember the first virtual show I did mostly just buying stuff instead of selling. Um, and now you know, with the U S dealers, you know, they're going to be able to pay with U S dollars and that, that might hurt the Canadian dealer a little bit, but, uh, you know, if it's just a Chicago show, then, uh, there should be some hockey interest. So that, uh, so I'm not saying it's going to be uh, a bad thing to have it. It's just, uh, maybe just a small part of it yeah no and i sorry i don't i don't mean to to when i ask you what are the cons i don't mean like you you're negative on the thing i just mean no it's what just, do you think are the challenges for the show and i think you're right like now you said the Amer- the the u.s based vendors will be able to accept u.s dollars well myself as a canadian resident i will still be able to accept u.s dollar paypal but i won't be able to accept u.s dollar e-transfers or you know uh just straight out bank transfers so there, yeah, you're right. There is that, and then if you're going to use PayPal, you're going to have to pay them their fees, which is just part of doing business, a cost of doing business. So, yeah, and, I, and if somebody wants to sell sell you a, a Wayne Gretzky card for five hundred, like that would be five hundred Canadian, or an American's going to give you five hundred US because to to them there's there's no difference. It's US dollar. It's US only for them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, for sure. And that's why it's going to be on us as vendors to clearly communicate with our customers yeah. I and mean, that's how my approach is going to be all right guys my prices are in there is in canadian dollars if you want to pay me in usd here's what you got here's the yeah. here's the math you need to do or you know i'll ver- and i'll verify that here's the here's the usd equivalent that you need to send me so yeah. i think if we if we plan out and think ahead and we um and we communicate well i think we should be okay i think some of those cons yeah. will be will be less challenging yeah, and, and yeah. I th- well, the first virtual was there. I think there was fifty dealers. I think. Yeah. So a few times that by I don't know how many more are going to come now, but it's, say it's a hundred, or if they twice as many dealers now, the the collector that's that's visiting the show, they're, they're going to be a little harder for them to navigate to find you. So you might be not as busy as you were at the Toronto right. show. Lost in the crowd, sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. You know the the interesting thing is that you know. I when I go to a card show, I walk up and down the aisles, and I, my eyes 
see every showcase at every table, pretty much. You know, I scan some very quickly. If I see something I like, I stop and I look deeper, take a more detailed uh, look at it. At the at the virtual, I'm going to, I mean, I, I know how it, how it's laid out. It's just basically, you know, four in a row, four in a row, rows of four dealers, yeah. you know, in squares and you click on them, you go in. Well, my my behavior would be to go in all of them, say hello, see if you have anything yeah. I want. If not, I'm going to move on and save my time. So I hope people will do that and make their way through the whole show. Not all will, of course, and some people will be all over the place. They'll forget where they've been. But let's face it, that happens at the real show too. You forget where you've been. You know you saw a card somewhere, and I was like, where did I see that card? I've had people come up to me at the Expo in Toronto, and they're like, did you have that Steve Eisenman rookie, or did did you did you have that Derek Jeter card? Like, you hear it all the time. No, that wasn't me. Oh, where was it? You know, and they're like desperately going to look for it yeah. again. Another reason to buy the card you like when you see it, not have to go chase it later because it might be gone or you just won't find it again. Yeah. Right. A couple comments that have, that have uh, trickled in here. Uh, we have this one here from Cardboard Nostalgia. Do grading companies take into consideration the era of the card when grading? I saw a PSA 10 from 1910 the other day sell for big dollars. Was it a 10 for cards that old or modern standards? I mean, my opinion is, the condition of, of, of the material should not be dependent on when it was produced. Um, do they cut older cards more slack? I, I don't know. I, I, I'm sure they'll tell you no, but they might. I, I, I think they do because if it's a card from, say, 1920, that it's been out in the elements for 80 or 100 years, right? And whereas a, a card from the 80s, is it hasn't had the time to get banged up. And so the like i'm pretty i'm pretty sure even even like p like all the companies you know if it's an older card they're a little more lenient on on the condition of it and if it's got some staining like a staining on the back you don't necessarily get a, a stain qualifier right or, you know if it's a lower grade card which you know cards that old usually are you know the, you know if it's going to get a psa one they're not going to throw a stain qualifier on it too that's going to you know give it kicking you in the teeth again right yeah see I, I disagree i not disagree with what you're saying but i disagree with that position i think that the that just because the card's been around for 80 years and has seen the elements well that has degraded its condition naturally and that should be reflected in the grade point in the assigned technical grade in my opinion let's see charles says yeah some of the 1910 cpg6 cards were printed using a stone that's right alex says why in 2020 are we still having off-centered cards? The technology can't fix this. Well, uh, no, and I've talked about this on the show with guys from the card companies and that, you know, they have stacks, of, they have they have the sheets of the cards and they're in stacks and the guillotine comes down and it might not get them all, you know, at the same, you know how when you, when you, when you cut through a bunch of pages, even with scissors, they start to do this, right? The pages start to do that. Well, same thing happens. It might be, you know, it might be millimeters, but it does happen, so... I guess the technology can't yet fix it. It might just be physics for that matter. Legion says, was really excited to hear the virtual expo is coming back. Same here. And Bobby says, that is why I always priced my book in USD. Right. And that makes sense. Because then that, you know, USD is the, it is the global currency. Everyone measures themselves yeah. against the US dollar. So it just yeah. makes good sense to do that. I, you know, I, I have no issue with that whatsoever. And also, you know, Beckett's price guide is is based in USD too. So if you're going to put a price guide, it might be best to at least kind of use the same currency as, as the market leader as far as price guides go. 
Paul, oh, here, Carlos says, regarding the grading by era, there is likely some concessions for manufacturing quirks of the time if there's something different like registration or a weaker print, et cetera. Yeah, I, can, I, I get it. I don't think it makes logical sense for me because it's just the grade is based on the condition, not the age. But I'm not saying that that it's not, that, I'm not against it as much as it just, I just don't think it's, the best way to do it. But hey, I'll leave it at that. Paul says, I'm curious about that too. If there are flaws that grading cards would consider, that grading cards would consider flaws, correct for the breed, similar to flaws on a purebred dog would be considered at a dog show. Yeah, that came up in the earlier show. And um, yeah, I think some things, some things, you know, it's like, it's like cards that have grain. You, you can see pieces of fiber within the cardboard itself. Oh, yeah. Is that a mark on the card or is that just the fiber in the paper that was typical for the time, the paper that was available at the time versus the 1979 Opeachy Wayne Gretzky rookie card that has real fuzzy edges a lot of the time and PSA doesn't penalize for that because that was the way it was meant to be maybe. I don't I don't want to say it's just the way it was, but maybe it was it wasn't meant to be that way. It's from dull blades, but anyway, we can talk about that for a long time. I don't think we're ever, as Carlos would say, we're never going to gain consensus on these items, on these issues, but they are interesting discussions nonetheless. And as Carlos would also say, it gets us thinking. And that's really the goal here. Let's think about it, find what's right for ourselves and move forward uh, in, in that manner. Paul says, example, the rough cut cards. Exactly, exactly, Paul. Okay. Well, I want to, I like to show a few cards too during after hours. So I, I'll go first, uh, Colin, because I only have three cards that really came in this week, aside from uh, my Topps Project 2020 cards, which I'm I'm done buying. But um, but I do have some that I do like. Those are all Project 2020 cards up over there along that shelf and up on that shelf. They're fun to look at, and I'm okay with that. So here's my here's my cards that came in today. All modern day cards. One's from the 1990s, and two are really from the last few years. So the first card. This is a 2017-18 Upper Deck Ice Hockey, David Pasternak. This is the Sub-Zero Gold. So it's from the Ice product. And they do a Sub-Zero insert that's that's silver without numbering. But then they do this gold parallel. The, the veterans are out of eight and the rookies are out of 24. So this is a veteran. This is numbered seven of eight. You can kind of see it wow. right there in the lower corner. Yeah, yeah. And they're, they're acetate with this cool gold sort of uh, circular design element in it that that move goes in and out it's really cool i like these cards and i think they're still under the radar so i keep picking them up and um yeah i just like them i, I like looking at them the second card this is from 2017 the cup hockey and this is a base card it's a base gold patch parallel out of eight of mark stone so if anybody follows me on instagram or have watched the show I collect these Upper Deck Cup base patch parallels from all the years of the Cup going back to 2005 because to me, the Cup's an important set. The base cards are boring to me, but when you add a patch in the gold foil, they're not boring anymore. And they're out of eight now. They were out of 10 for the first several years. And then they, in 2013, they started autographing some of them where they had autograph deals. I don't buy those ones because it just bumps the price up too much. So I pick them up non-autograph with a nice patch. I don't, I don't want one color patches really. Anyway, I've got, I'm almost at 300 cards of these in my collection, like 280 something. So this is uh, this is this is the newest addition to that PC within the PC. 
And then the last card that came in, this is a basketball card. Uh, this is an, you know, this is a case where calling out if it's ever happened to you. It might not because you're more vintage and you know all the cards you deal with, but sometimes you buy a card that you only see the scan on eBay. And when it comes, you're like, whoa, that's way nicer than I was expecting. And that's what happened with this card. So this is a 1998 Flare Showcase Legacy Collection Row 2 Vince Carter rookie card in the PSA 9 holder. And when you, if you look at it flat, it doesn't look, you know, it looks, it's got the blue foil along the bottom for the Legacy Collection, but it's got like this layer of, almost this layer of like, uh, it looks like a gel almost. It's not, yeah. but a gloss. And it really gives the card some nice depth. It's not really, it's not picking it up here, but I pick it up when I get, nah, it's hard to pick it up, but it's a, it's just a really cool card. So this card, when it arrived and I took it out of the, the bubbler, I'm like, whoa, <laughs> That card is that look sweet. It's a population 11 in a PSA 9. There's one PSA 10 that sold in the same auction. And the PSA 10 sold for like six times what I got this card for. So wow. I thought, you know, that's a case. That's a, that's a, this is a case where you're buying a PSA 9 mint condition card for less than a fifth of the cost of the PSA 10. And it's still yeah. a super rare card. And it's numbered to 99. It's numbered three of 99 on the back. It's tough to see. It's in blue there, but it's numbered three of 99. Oh, there it is. It's coming yeah. out nicely. Beautiful card. Super happy to own it. Anyway, those are my three pickups uh, of the week that landed. I do have a big shipment of cards coming in from my brother in the United States who uh, acts as a U.S. address for me. And um, I've been saving up cards there for months now. So that's going to come in soon. That'll be a big mail day. So one of these shows, I'll have to just do it myself and do do a, a mail day show. Before we get to your cards, Colin, because I did ask Colin to pull out some cards to show off. We'll go through a few more comments here. So, Bob, oh, here we are. Bobby says, I agree with Jeremy. So a 1910... PSA five or six is very high grade and the value follows. That's exactly what I'm saying. If it's a card from 1910, maybe a six or a seven is the highest grade possible. And in most pop reports for P for those old tobacco cards, that pretty much is the case. But the PSA five or six should relatively speaking on a relative level should sell for the same as a PSA eight or nine of a modern day card. Rel again, keeping all the proportions yeah. stable. Um, I agree. A PSA 5 is super high grade for 1910. Super yeah. high grade. Carlos, never one, never one to, to, to fade the compliment, says, quoting a wise man, good move. Peter says, aren't you contradicting yourself regarding the Gretzky rookie, Jeremy? I might have. I might have contradicted myself in, in, in there, but I, I contradict myself sometimes, but, but I catch it, and then I'm like, but, you know, I, I can qualify it for why I'm contradicting myself. So as far as the Gretzky rookie goes, yeah, that's a that's a – that's a, an edge that is that is really some of them look chewed up and they can still be in a PSA eight holder. Yeah. But that was typical of the time. I'm not saying it's right, Peter. I'm saying I recognize that PSA does that. They've been they've been it's been known that they've said that that they do not penalize the 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 Opeachy rough cuts. But why don't they? It's still not the card is not in as good condition. It sounds to me by the by what you were saying, Colin, about KSA, where they don't grade the centering or the registration, they just grade the condition that they would penalize the OPG Gretzky rookie for that. So, I mean, yeah, this hey, if nothing else is if nothing else is true in this hobby, Peter, the one thing that is true is that nothing. There's just consistency is really hard to find. Yeah. 
And uh, yeah. there, there's there's all sorts of, uh, of of examples of that. Yeah. Well, it's the PS the, the Gretzky PSA ten. There's one that's got the rough cut, and then there's one that's off center. Yeah. But they're both tens. They're both tens. Yeah. No, I, I know, I know. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Billy says, Urbe fan on HI pulled a C55 bazooka back from a loose pack today from an LCS. Someone pulled a Datsuk last month. Pretty crazy to think what is sitting in loose packs at your local card shop. Yeah. Uh, he's talking about this this Datsuk Titanium out of 13 was pulled at Maple Leaf Sports here in Calgary, actually. And uh, yeah, just a, and that's a big card. I mean, as yeah. far as the modern day card goes in hockey, that is probably one of the biggest cards from the early, early 2000 era. A meat needs a patch card. Yeah. So a meat, my buddy, he has his own hockey card that looks like the 85 Lemieux rookie. He needs it in a patch card version. Yeah, he sure does, Eric. That would be very cool. I'm sure people out there could make it. Colin, show us some cards. Okay. I had uh, uh, Beckett. Uh, I had a bunch of raw grade cards that I had uh, gotten at the, at the expo and just sent them to get them slabbed. So there's one there. Uh, nice little, or that's better there. That's good. Gretzky eight. BGA. You're talking. Gretzky you showed your Jackie Robinson rookie. Well, I had threw in uh, 1953 Robinson. I love, I love the 53 set. I think it's oh much yeah much nicer than the 52s, in my own opinions. Yeah, especially the Willie Mays, the the Willie Mays card in 53 tops is legendary. Yeah. Actually, I got I got that actually right here. Oh God, I might want to buy it off you. I love this card. Oh, look at that! It look, I think it's being recolored at the bottom, so I'm probably just send it in to get uh, an authentic grade on it. Still a beauty. I don't it still. I've got the complete set. Fifty three. Ooh, that was my car. That was my card of the of the day a couple couple uh, oh, yeah. episodes ago. Yeah, love that United. What it's like two cards in one that that year. Yeah, oh, this is this is my favorite pickup. Uh, uh, recent recent pickup. Beautiful. The value of this has gone up big time in the last couple of weeks. I've I so I knew that card as about you know USD eight fifty to nine to maybe a thousand bucks, and then I heard it was like I saw one sell maybe for twenty two hundred, but I had a guy tell me recently that that's like five six thousand dollars now is that right 4300 of the last one sold for canadian or u.s uh canadian so it's about 40, you know 30 3, us i think it sold for still big dough for that card yeah. a lot more than they used to be as of you know yeah. recently yeah i wish i was stacking a dozen or two of those well even nines i think are 500 or 600 dollars now so that's awesome and that's it's, you know it goes to the jerry rice that, that uh, john was talking about jerry rice psa eights were 50 bucks like three four months ago and now they're 300 yeah you know it's the uh, hobbies the hobby's on the move man the hobby's yeah, on the move it's going eric right. says sweet maze card charles says yeah. wow that's dv10 is amazing yes it is yeah. and here's a comment back to the uh the, the back to the question or the comment that was made earlier sorry i forget who made it just about the technology and Bobby, Bobby can shed some light on. He says, Opeachy, as an example, Opeachy stacked too many sheets of cards on the slitter, and it was only designed to cut a smaller amount. So it was tearing through opposed to cutting, thus the rough cut. So yeah. still pack pulled that way, not, not secondary market or after, you know, kid damage on the rough edge, but still, you know, card companies cut cards off center and they get penalized for that. Why shouldn't 
older cards get penalized for not cutting them properly, you know, in the first place, never mind the centering, but the cut itself. I, yeah. I was told I was told that they had a quota that they had to to make every day. And as the, the night got longer, they I think 20 sheets is what was the norm. And if they were behind, they just kept piling on the sheets, 25 to 30 sheets. And that's how the, the, the cuts ended up getting rough. Yeah, that, that could dull the blades more than a you know ten would ten would do. Here's yeah. a question from uh, Billy at Cardboard Nostalgia, and Billy has a, a YouTube channel as well that's card that's called Cardboard Nostalgia, where he does box breaks of I'll say vintage, but it's really like '90s forward um, wax boxes, and he'll open them up on his channel. So check that out if you want to see that kind of uh, content. He says, "Would you rather own a PSA nine Gretzky OPT with fuzzy edges?" or a 10 with unnaturally cut edges? Would PSA even grade the card, or do they offer qualifiers for something like sheet cut vintage? Interesting, interesting question. So would you rather own a PSA 9 with fuzzy edges or a 10 with, what do you mean unnaturally cut edges? I don't understand unnaturally cut. Cut by computer. Oh, oh, so what we call sheet yeah. cut, we yeah. a sheet cut. Oh, I PSA doesn't. They won't grade sheet cut cards. Right. They I may really, have graded them, but they don't. That's their ammo that's anyway. their position. Right. Yeah. I would much rather have the fuzzy edge nine because to me the the ten that Billy is describing here is a card that was cut by someone other than the manufacturer. I want. I personally, in my collection, I only want cards that were cut by the manufacturer. The only now I, I have a qualifier here as well. I'll contradict myself. The only qualifier I have for that is in recent years in hockey, uh, Upper Deck has in the Opeachy product, they've put they've done box bottom cards again. So I've actually taken oh, yeah. those cards and I've cut them myself with a guillotine cutter because to me, those are just effing cool and I like them and they're good players. So, uh, so that's the only uh time where I will cut a card myself if is if if is if it's a card that the manufacturer never cut themselves. I think that might be the way to describe it. Here's here's a PSA 8 Gretzky that's doesn't have any rough edge at all. And it's an old grade. So and it's pack pulled? It's pack pulled, yeah. That looks great, man. And that's you know like that's a thing. Everybody has a perception that all OPG cards have got rough cuts. Or there's there's a lot of nice cut cards that are OPG still. Probably from earlier in the day before they were really yep. striving to meet those quotas, right? Right after they sharpen the blades, could be even, you know. Here's what Bob so Bobby speaks up and he says, Yes, Colin, but they also got paid bonus oh, yeah. past oh, yeah. quota. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So dot dot dot, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh Billy, you are welcome. It's always fun when you crack those old vintage boxes. So check out that channel, Cardboard Nostalgia. All right. Well, we're, we're at the hour mark here, which is usually where I like to leave things off. Um, vintage boxes. Ooh. Oh, and those are uh, Steve Hart sealed too, I see. Baseball yep. card exchange sealed. Yep. That's a new purchase too. Wow. Is that, that's right in North? Is that Opeachy or Tops? That's Opeachy. Yeah. Very yep. nice. Very cool yeah. box, man. Is that something that you bought that you're going to be selling? Uh, it, it'll get sold eventually, I think. I just yeah. got it, so I want to keep it for a bit. And it's worth a lot more now than it was uh, oh. a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely going up in price with, all the, uh, with all the breakers, yeah. 
That's a good buy. Bobby says that yes, the box bottoms are labeled as hand cut. Yes, they that that makes good that makes good sense. I own one PSA slabbed uh box bottom card. I have the the rookie year Lemieux, which to me is a awesome, awesome card. Um, I know it's you know not technically a rookie card, but to me it's a rookie year card that looks like his rookie card and is to me a super important card. I I don't have it handy. Oh, there's the rookie in a nine. That's a nine, yeah. Mint nine. Amazing card. Stunning card, man. I I, I love it. I had I had three nines not too long ago. I'm down to one right now in my personal collection. I had three others. I sold them all. Uh, not too long ago. There's there it is. I didn't mean to share that so quick, but there's my my box bottom, oh, and it says I, right there, hand cut. Let me. Yeah. And what I love about this copy is you can see some of the white trim on the top edge and the side edge, and I like that because that to me says this is a box bottom card. You don't need to look at the label to know it's a box bottom card, and so and that it almost looks like it's miscut there, but it isn't. That, there's no dimple there. Yeah. That's just got a bit of a of some bl of a black line coming down. So, yeah. and uh, PSA gave that a nine, and I'm I'm stoked to own it. A very low population card. I think it's so cool because you never see this, right? You just never see it. Yeah, pretty neat. Pretty neat. New Canadian box sealing company coming. Oh, that's interesting to know. Okay, as long as they yeah. have a good reputation in terms of uh, kind of authenticating that the Packs have never been opened and resealed and rewaxed and all that. I like the looks of the 80s box bottom. Me too. I actually I shouldn't say I have a couple others. I actually do have a couple others because I collected the whole run of Dale Howard Chuck cards from the 80s and I included the box bottom. So I have this guy as well, which I'll show quickly as soon as it comes up. It should be coming in a minute. There we go. That's and you oh, yeah, nice. can see the white trim at the top, the 87 and a nine. And then the other one I have, I'm just going to remove and go here and bring up the other one is the 80. I think you only had two box bottoms, Howard Chuck. And the other one is from uh, 1988. So that'll pop up here in one second. Just to show off this card, that guy right there. Nice. Nine, yeah. I was happy to get those from my Howard Chuck collection. Again, oddball kind of cards. But they're cool because they look just like the cards of the year, right? In yeah. that year itself. So really cool stuff. Um, what else can we talk about before we get off of here tonight, uh, Colin? I'm just looking at my list of things that I that I had on here that we could potentially chat about. Um, <clears throat> we talked about the card show. Oh, I'll mention to everybody watching. So my show here, my channel, Sports Cards Live, I've taken all the episodes now and they're available on podcast. Now, I'd rather you watch on YouTube and actually get the visual too. But if you are a guy who, or, or a guy or a gal who likes podcasts, it's now on all the podcast uh, platforms. Every episode is, and the two from tonight will be on there tomorrow. The only one that isn't, uh, or the only platform they're not up yet is Apple, but they will be. It just takes a couple of weeks to get onto Apple. So it'll be there soon. I want to mention that to you all. Charles says, yes, 85, 86 box bottoms are my favorite. And for some reason, 89, 90. Hey, that's cool, man. What, what, collect what you like, right? Oh, yeah. Eric says, did you cut the box bottoms yourself? I've got quite a few from the 80s that are uncut. No, I did not cut the 80s ones myself, but I have some from like 2016, 17, 18 that I did cut myself, but they're not slab. They're just, I just have them in my collection. 
unslab for now. I might get them slab like the Crosbys and the McDavid's, that kind of stuff. I may get those those ones slab. I don't even actually remember if I have any Crosbys. I know I know I have a McDavid. Let's see what Billy asks. He says, "At what point did you guys start paying attention to graded cards during your collecting career?" Was graded vintage coveted during the early 90s when it started? Was condition valued before the grading companies came around? That's a good question. You want to take a first stab at that, Colin? Yeah, I, um, it, it, I, it came uh, evident to me that grading was essential when I used to deal a lot with uh, four sharp corners. Uh, Roger and Stan, they uh, they run that. And they would come in every year and and I would hook them up with really nice stuff. And then they'd come back the next year and I'd ask them how their grades were. And, you know, because I knew that they just sold graded stuff, right? And they said, yeah, we got nines and tens. <laughs> so, you know, the value of a set, like a, especially like a, like you use a Wayne Gretzky set, for example, that, that set there graded in high grade is a $30,000 set. Um, and if you have really nice high grade stuff, you know, you can, you know, get a premium on it, but if you grade it, you can make 10 times more. So yeah. it's definitely when, when I found out that I started grading, uh, quite, you know, not, I probably don't have 500 cards and that I've got graded, but, uh, but it'll it's slowly get gaining more traction in my, uh, in my inventory for sure. Yeah. So for myself, Billy, um, at what point do you start paying? So I, I started paying attention to grading as soon as it became a thing in the 90s. I, I I don't remember when I bought my first graded card, but it was probably in the early to mid 2000s. So I was aware of it in the 90s, but I didn't, I, I kind of wasn't heavily involved in the hobby for the last five years in the 90s. I was kind of observing, but I was, you know, busy doing other things. In the early 2000s, that's when I started buying graded cards. And in 2000, and I think it was 2007, I was at the National in Chicago. So it might have been 08. And I took my collection with me to get it graded by PSA. Um, so, and I had my collection at the time consisted of the rookie card of every thousand point man and every 300 point, uh, 300 win goalie, among others. I also had the C56 series completed and a whole bunch of other Hall of Fame rookies. Anyway, I took them with me to Chicago and I took them to PSA and I submitted them. And I was fortunate enough that I knew someone at PSA. I can't even think of his name right now because he, he's, he's long gone now. Uh, but he gave me a deal. He gave me a flat rate of eight bucks a card. So I submitted about 200 cards, I guess. And I went from having like very few graded cards to my whole collection being graded. And, um, and, and, if anyone's interested, the serial numbers of those cards started with one six. Now they're into the four something, I think. So well, it was pretty six. Long time. Yeah, four six. So this was a long time ago. And uh, so that's when I started getting my cards graded. And then I, I continued to pursue them because, you know, back then we weren't as aware of some of the uh, issues with, with grading. And I still buy graded cards. It's just, I just like the looks of them. I like the, I just like the presentation and I like the, authenticity that comes along with it, or at least knowing they're authentic. Um, in, and I like, you know, the whole reason grading came around in the first place was to facilitate the the new world of the internet and buying cards sight unseen remotely. So we still do that. We buy yeah. cards sight unseen all the time, right? Like it's, it's the hobby now for the most part. So to me, it's just a good way to understand a bit, a bit more about what you're receiving. Because like I said, on the first show tonight, you can't grade a card by a picture someone sends you or posts on Facebook. You just can't do it. So 
it's nice to know what you're that you're, you're you know if a card looks like an eight but it's a four there's a reason it's a four and i want to know that as a as, yeah. a as a buyer as a buyer who's become an investor by as a consequence of being a collector so i hope that kind of answers uh, condition was always valued, though. I think it's important to note condition has always been valued because condition in collectibles is always of the utmost importance and sports cards are no different. And, and uh, that's Terry, what, oh, sorry, go ahead, sorry. Colin. That, that's what happened with me. Like I, I bought a small collection off of Ange Savelli. He's uh, known in Canada as the king of cards. And uh, a 60, 1965 uh, Jerry Cheevers rookie I sent in to get graded. Came back a nine. It's a four thousand dollar card at the time, and soon, soon as that happened, you know that really changed everything. Yeah, the light went off, right? Oh yeah, Thank oh you. yeah, big time. So, uh, Colin Terry wants to know if you have a website or anything that shows what you have available with pricing. Uh, I've got, uh, yeah, I've got uh, a raw. Uh, well, on eBay, I guess uh, I'm slot fifty five. And I've also got that's mostly graded stuff, and all my raw stuff is on uh, the Hockey Card Exchange is the name of it, HC uh, hyphen Exchange. HC hyphen Exchange. That's your yeah. uh, that's your eBay store. That's that's my other eBay store. Yeah, yeah. HC hyphen Exchange. Okay, I'm just gonna throw these up there for everybody to see. So there you go. If everyone can see that, those are the those are uh, their sloth fifty five, and then the hyphen is just my own hyphen, and then HC dash exchange. So there you go, Terry. Go check them out. Uh, Terry just bought a sweet Phil Esposito SGC eight from Four Sharp Corners. Congratulations! I love the Esposito rookie. There's one right there. And what's the grade on that guy? Is that uh, nice? PSA. Very PSA. nice. I got a I have bunch a, of yeah. that I'm sending in to get reslabbed. Okay. I have that same. I have my, my Esposito is also in a PSA 8. I love it. Bobby says the grading companies taught me that I know nothing about grading. Cards I thought were nines always came back as sevens. Guess I need another 25 years more experience. That's funny well, because when, when you send your cards in, J Jeremy, do you grade them first before you send them in? Like what you I think don't. that they're going to come back? I, I don't because I don't. And one of the reasons I don't is because. Oftentimes, I just want I just want them graded. I don't. I sometimes don't care about the grade. Yeah, I want tens, of course, I want them, but I just want that card in the slab to so it have uniformity in my collection. Um, so I don't I don't really grade them. I I don't care as much about the grade. I care about yeah. owning the card. But when I'm buying already graded cards, yeah, I'm, I, I focus in on the grade because. I'm, but I but I focus in on the card. You know, I I'm not going to buy a. I'm not going to buy a blurry PSA eight or a blurry yeah. PSA nine, you know? Yeah. So the opposite of Bobby, I, I grade mine before I send them in. And I, if, if I think it's a seven, they usually come back eights, <laughs> eights or nines. So I'm a tough grader, I guess, you know, that's probably why everybody scoops all my raw stuff up. Yeah. Well, I guess you've, you've kind of put the plug into that for now though, right here. I'll, yeah. Put that on the ticker now so it's up there for people that might have missed it. That's how you find Colin on eBay. Um, okay. Well, I think uh, we, we can pretty much wrap up. Um, unless, let's see, we talked about, I mentioned the podcasts are now live on, the show's now live on podcast. We're going to continue doing the shows, guys. Still having fun with it. 
I do have some swag coming out. I should mention that. That's pretty cool. I do have some swag coming out. Oh, yeah. Nice. So I don't know if anybody thinks that's pretty cool, but yeah. these are awesome, I got to say, because they came out super well. A buddy of mine who's in the hobby actually made these for me. And um, I'm super, I love the way they came out. I think oh, yeah. it just came for out sure. awesome, right? Awesome for trucker sure. hat, you know. And this isn't like, a, this wasn't a cheap trucker hat. These are, these are like, you know, well done trucker hats. So I had a dozen of these made, only a dozen. And uh, I can get more, I suppose. But, you know, I've always said on the show, I don't, uh, I don't have a Patreon set up. I don't accept donations. I've had people offer and it's like, you know, I don't want to take anybody's money for this. One person once did a, a it was it was um, absolute Mike who comes on. He's not on tonight, but he's usually on. He sent a YouTube super chat, which is like a twenty dollar donation, which was very nice and generous. And and I, I couldn't say no to it. It already came in. But I said, you know, I, I don't want to take money from anybody unless I can give you something back. So what my plan is is I've got lapel pins coming as well in my in my day job. We we have pins made for our company, and we we get them made in Asia. And uh, so I had our vendor there make me some pins with this. So I don't have them yet. They're coming. They're coming by boat. So they'll be in Canada eventually. Uh, but but I got these these hats done and a few shirts as well. And uh, so my my plan is is that what I'm thinking is I'll like sell them. But it's basically like you know here's the minimum price. Pay whatever you want. You want to send me a thousand bucks for a hat? I'll probably take it. I mean that's a little ridiculous. Not that anybody would, but. That's kind of what I'm thinking. If you want to support uh, what I'm doing, I greatly appreciate it, but I want to give you something back. So, um, but I, I, I haven't figured out exactly what to do, how to do it yet. But anyway, these, these hats are wicked. I've basically, ever since I got them, I've like, I've been sleeping in this thing. I think it's so cool. <laughs> I just, I love it. I'm, so, a, I'm a hat guy too. Right? What's that? Pardon? I'm a hat guy too. So. Well, hey, us bald most guys. Bald, right? Most bald guys are, yeah. <laughs> exactly exactly so anyway i wanted to tease this at the end of the show i'll show you what the shirt looks like the shirt i'm not as happy with i, I just don't think that the logo it should have been thicker uh thicker lines throughout but here's what the shirt looks like it's still it's actually a pretty it's a quality black shirt with uh, the logo screen printed on there so i gotta figure out what to do i got 12 of each i just just small just to just to test it out so we'll see but uh anyway I want to show you guys that. I'm going to take it off now. That's it. That's it for now. But uh, let's see what, what you guys have said since I put on my hat. Uh, Bobby says, wow. I hope that's for the hat, Bobby. And if it's if it's for Colin's Esposito rookie, I'm okay with that too because that was pretty <laughs> wow worthy as well. Terry says, Jeremy's always hustling. I'd buy one of those. I appreciate that, Terry. Charles says, oh, I'm buying a hat for sure. Okay, so I've already sold out. Thank you, Charles. Carlos says, now he has merch. Love it. Commence the shameless plugs. I'll just wear it for shameless plug. Billy says, autograph those hats and number them out of 12. I showed it to yeah. two of my buddies a couple days ago. And uh, one of them said, you should you should sign those and number them. So thanks for the idea, Billy. Uh, kind of thinking that already, but we'll see. I, it's weird to think that I should autograph something. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly, Carlos and exactly Bobby. Dave says, I've had people offer me money not to talk anymore. Hilarious. Carlos says, I think inaugural guests on the various shows like After Hours should get free hats. I don't yeah. know free, like, 
and I'll tell you, the, I didn't cheap out on this stuff. Like, I, these weren't cheap. These were like, imagine going to the mall and buying a cap at a store. That's basically what I had to pay for these things. Uh, Carlos is chumming for a free hat. He sure is. He sure is. Game-worn hat. I'd have to play a game for show-worn. How about show-worn? That'd be show cool. Worn. Yeah. Carvin would get one, too. I'm not selfish, Bobby. There you go. That's right. Carvin was my first guest ever on Sports Cards Live. Well, Colin, anything, anyone else out there? You want anything? You want to talk about anything? Put anything out there? I'm good for another 10 minutes if you want. Otherwise, I'm ready yeah, to I, sign off. Oh, yeah. Whatever, whatever, uh, whatever you want. Yeah, you can stay on for 10 more minutes. That's fine. Well, are you so let's just quickly talk about uh, our your activities and uh, the virtual expo coming up November yep. 21 and 22. You will be set up as a vendor. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. No, that's, so uh, wanna... it's, it was, I, I you know what? I found it so much fun doing it. Um, just just talking to the people that would come into your booth and stuff. And sometimes it would you would you would have 10 people were in your booth, but nobody would be there. Right. So right. I would just start, I just started talking to people. I just started rambling on. It was, it was kind of cool. And then, you know, they would, they would uh, engage after that, you know. And that's, see, what, what you just did there, I think you were a lot better than what a lot of, a lot or some of the vendors did. Some of them didn't realize they had eyeballs yeah. or they had the eyeballs, but they didn't yeah. speak to it at all. They didn't speak to them. Yeah. And then if you had people, then you had some people could request to come on screen with you and then you could actually have some face to face yeah. sort of discussion. But yeah. just like you, I, I did the same thing, uh, Colin, when I saw I had eyeballs, I started talking. I'd be like, yeah. okay. I just, you know, it was like a commercial. It was like a commercial. Hey, I'm, I you know, like I, I had vintage baseball, football, um, you know, hockey. What do you, what are you guys looking for kind of thing? And, and then they would engage, you know, so yeah. it was good. Yeah. No, I think it's important to talk to the eyeballs that are there but aren't there for you to see them and let them know how to how to find your cards, let them know who you are, let them know what you, you know, I'm Sloth 55 on eBay. I've got, you know, I had all my cards in a in a Dropbox folder, so I had the link in a pinned post at the top of my yeah. my my booth chat. And then when I saw the eyeball number movement, like, all right guys, all the cards are on Dropbox. You can go to the pinned post, yeah. click it, it'll take you right there. The cards are all sorted by sport or era and and they're priced in in the file yeah. name so go check you gotta it out. you gotta show me how to do that because i had literally 30 display cases with the pictures with pricing and i couldn't i couldn't do what you did <laughs> yeah that's and tough you, to and you, yeah and you you had said that that was your best show it was my second you know from a purely from a revenue perspective now i sold lots of big cards so from a purely revenue perspective, it was my second best expo ever. Um, but yeah, and I mean, I uh, I don't know how to say that. I don't want to sound like a, like a jerk or, you know, like I'm tooting my own horn, but I've had some strong expos. For a guy who goes in with one booth, um, and yeah. I'm busy, I'm busy at expo. I'm busy from start to finish every day, pretty much uh, doing deals. I do, I do between 80 and 110 deals every expo, which to me is a lot. I think, I think it's a lot. And so, yeah, um, it was great. I had a great show. I can't complain about it. Yeah. Yeah. But I know, I know some people did no deals. I mean, I've heard that too. And I think it just has to be with how you were set up and the merchandise that you had pretty much simply that. And maybe how you interacted with those eyeballs as well. Were you able to lure people onto the onto the screen with you and you know yeah. lure them in, right? It was it was it, it was kind of funny because I was contacted by four people that couldn't get into the show somehow. 
and they had gone on to the to the website for it and saw my ad and contacted me through my email just that way and that turned into four really good deals yeah. uh collections that i bought so that, that worked out that's yeah. awesome couple of questions we're, we're not going to sign off quite yet we got this one from uh, legion he says so what did you think about the the miss and that's should say mishandled 2021 exquisite sheet so yes legion i did watch those videos that you sent me and i did forward them on to billy the upper deck and said what's this you know what, what leaked 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 lafreniere exquisite cards and he just wrote back to me oh and fill in the blank so um yeah what did i think of it i thought wow that's interesting that someone used used uncut sheets of exquisite which wasn't just hockey it was multi-sport um that someone used that to pack up uh what were like magic cards or something that must have been an error at the printer so what do i think about it I think it's unfortunate it happened, but hey, now we know they're out there and, you know, six months will go by and it won't matter anymore. So, yeah, you know, yeah. it is what it is. Bobby says, I had a separate window on a five second slide of all my collectibles and prices pictured. Yeah. So that, you know, separate window being a separate like camera, I think on the screen. Billy says, have you considered being sponsored by a particular hobby related company? Seems like a reasonable move unless your goal is to remain totally impartial or indebted to a specific company. Uh, great question, uh, Billy. And um, <clears throat> so I won't lie and say the thought hasn't crossed my mind for financial purposes to benefit financially. It ha it has crossed my mind. But your second point is that, yeah, I love I love the fact that I nobody can tell me what to do. You know what I mean? Nobody can. I can talk about whatever I want on the show. And, uh, and, and I don't answer to anybody. No one can pull a sponsorship from me because I insulted their product or said something about something. So, uh, my goal is not to be sponsored by a hobby related company. Now, you know, ultra pro BCW. Sure. If they want to sponsor me, I don't think that would, that would compromise, uh, the show, the, the authenticity and the integrity of the show. But to be sponsored by an Upper Deck or a, or a Panini or a Leaf or, you know, or, or a Beckett or a PSA, um, I don't I don't think I would accept any of that uh, for the show myself. I, I just don't, I think that would compromise the show and what I'm what I'm trying to do. So I don't think I would accept any any offers that way. What I would accept though is if card companies wanted to send me boxes of cards to open up and give away on screen which Upper Deck did one time. They sent me a box of Goodwin and I opened up and gave away the hits. I'd be open to something like that. Uh, but I don't think I'm open to a, a pure sponsorship. I think it kind of sets me apart from uh, from others perhaps, which is okay, nothing against them. But um, anyway, yeah. Thanks for the question. Amish Dave says, I loved the virtual in June. It was awesome in your room, Jeremy. Well, thanks, Dave. Yeah, I was fortunate to have people join me and chit chat and uh, made it a lot more fun. So thank you for joining me, Dave. I hope to have you back in uh, in November. Obviously, you didn't like my room. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take it personally, yeah, Colin. Yeah. Maybe he was there and he didn't even know it. Yeah. Uh, Carlos says, to the sponsorship point, it also makes things tricky since you'd have to screen potentially what guests would say or could say as well. 100%. Yeah, 100%. Bobby says, gotta love your own creative control, Jeremy. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not I'm not looking to answer to anybody for what I'm doing on this show. This show is is me being me. Um, 
I don't want to be negative towards any company. I don't want to hurt anybody's business. Uh, but if you do something that I think is completely out of line, what I don't, you know, no matter who you are, and it comes up in discussion, I'm going to state my opinion, and I don't want to have any any barrier to that. So, um, like I said, I would I would reject any offers of sponsorship from companies that are too in, in, involved. Again, ultra pro. Uh, why not? Right? Well, why not? Yeah. Okay. Ultra pro. Anyone from Ultra Pro watching? Send me send me your 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 deal sheet. I'm, I'll I'll take a look at it. Uh, Dave says, Colin, I didn't even go into your room in June. I'll make sure to do so in November. There you go. Perfect. Right. Come on the show. Get a customer, Colin. I love it. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. I love it. <laughs> well, got, and hey, if I can if I can sell these hats for enough money, then uh, then maybe I'll uh, maybe I don't need sponsors. You just gotta. You just have to show me how to get get my pictures on the in the Google Sheets or whatever it is. Yeah, I can definitely uh, show you how to do that. I, I offered to Steve uh, Menzi. I said, listen, I'm happy to, to 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 do a little workshop with vendors and show them how I yeah. how I, how I did it. I mean, I'm not yeah. saying how I did it was the best way, but it worked very well for me and I got great feedback on it. So yeah. uh, Bobby says, Jeremy can't be bought only by Ultra Pro. Ultra Pro can buy me. <laughs> Just had some Broder 90s inserts in there. Just Oh, so there you go, Colin. Dave, Dave this is the most coveted thing right now. The, Trying yeah, to find semi, semi-rigids. <laughs> card savers. And here, uh, Colin, and to Bobby, too, if you find yourself some 90s Brodeur inserts, Dave's your guy. Carlos okay. says, see if you can pit Ultra Pro and BCW against each other. Bidding war to sponsor Sports Cards Live. Go. I'm down yep. for that. I'm down for that. All right, guys. That was fun. We're an hour and a half, uh, Colin. Yeah. That's- Here's another comment. Terry says, we need to be able to see the cards and prices for the virtual shows. Yeah, I was yep. able to do that. And... I will show others how to do that if they want to hear me talk about it. So yeah, not necessarily on sports cards live, but uh, as part of the expos uh, and I know that they're going to have these training sessions and some sort of like, even for attendees, you know, come in early and here's how to, here's how to, how to navigate the show before, before it actually opens for business. So that'll be really helpful. I think. Yeah. That was awesome. All right, guys. Well, Hey, Colin, um, thank you for joining me tonight. I've had a lot of fun. Yeah, great. Good, to, good to have you. Good to get to know you better. Appreciate yeah. that. Just got a shout out to my uh, six-year-old, uh, Nicholas. He, he's a big Pokemon collector, so. Cool. <laughs> shout out shout out to Nicholas. I hope, I, is, is he watching right now or is it too late? Oh, no, he's, he's in bed. He's in bed. It's 2 a.m. where you are right now. Yeah. Oh, is it? <laughs> big shout out to Nicholas. Nicholas, your dad's a cool dude. Glad to have him on with me. Uh, Nicholas, next time you'll have to stay up late and join us yourself. It'd yeah. be great to see you, young man. All right, so here yeah, we thanks. go. We've got the good nights coming in. We'll run through those because I always like to, to thank everybody for watching. Uh, so to you, Legion, thank you as always. Really appreciate your viewership. Bobby, for me, it became a social show as opposed to a selling show. And nothing wrong with that, right? Nothing wrong with that. Joe, thanks to you. Good night to you. Joe, good night again. Paul, thank you so much. Good night. Charles, Great having you. Good night to you. Billy says, we'd love to take part in the virtual Zoom style auction auction at Expo. It would be cool to compete and see who you're bidding with versus the anonymity of eBay. That's a neat idea. A live auction. Good night to you, Dave. Good night to you, Billy. Good night to Bobby. Good night to Terry, who says an auction would be a good idea. That would be neat. Eric, thanks to you for watching and good night to you as well. Nice. Appreciate it. All right. 
thanks thanks to you colin thanks everybody we'll be back i will be back yeah, again that- on let's see i'm back again on wednesday with jordan hagedorn that should be cool he's a He's an NFL agent. He's got NFL players as clients. He's an NFL agent. He super collects Brett Favre. He does a podcast called For the Hobby. He's a real good dude. Check that out. Next Saturday yeah. is another content creator, Jake Roy from 90s B-Ball Cards, who I got to tell you, I'm impressed by this guy. Uh, so that'll be a fun conversation. We'll just be talking hobby. Carlos, thank you to you. Okay, Carlos. Carlos, Carlos, after after hours, what do you say? Bobby Burrell, thanks, Colin, for sharing. Thanks for hosting. Jeremy had a blast. Bobby, thanks to Bobby. Thanks, Bobby. Thank you to Bobby for selling me two awesome new items for my hobby history collection, the Opeachy Thrillers jersey worn by an, by, worn by an employee of Opeachy. This is a 1979 jersey. So yeah. probably the best 1979 rookie jersey one could possibly own. Even better yeah. than Wayne Gretzky. And then, Bobby, thank you for my bubble boy as well. Love them. Done. All right. Okay, guys. Colin, I'm going to end it. Good night, everybody. Colin, wait right there for one second. Say good night. Good night, guys. Good night, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.